Well, good morning. Welcome to a new year. A new year is exciting, isn't it? There's always a sense of just anticipation with what God is going to do. On this uh, first day of 2023, because this is the very first day we gather on New Year's Day this, uh, this year, you know, I just thought it would uh, be a good way to start the message just by pausing to thank God for what He has blessed us with in this past year and commit to Him this upcoming year in prayer. And uh, because we recognize that uh, all good things come from the Lord. And uh, even when we don't recognize them as good in the moment, God always gives us what is best for us. Like that's the kind of father that we have. We have a father that, that blesses us in ways that uh, sometimes we don't even see what a blessing it is. Uh, but when we look back in hindsight, and maybe you look back on this year and you're like, what was God doing? He messed a lot of stuff up. No, and eventually when we look back in hindsight, and it might, be until we, it might not be until we get into heaven, we'll look back and we'll say, God was good. God was good. God was always working all things together for our good. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, uh, today we just pause on this New Year's Day and we thank you for your many blessings. God, first of all, we, we just want to thank you first and foremost for the new life that we have in you, that we get to have a relationship with you. We are your children. You have forgiven our sins. You have, you have filled us with your Holy Spirit. That is the greatest blessing that we could imagine. In fact, it is beyond our imagination. Just the blessings that we have because we now exist as your children. You are our Father. We thank you for that. God, we thank you for the, the blessings that you have surrounded us with in this life. God, we thank you for family and friends. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for the material things that you have given us, that you've given us uh, food to eat and shelter over our heads. You've blessed us in so many ways, far beyond what we deserve. We thank you for those things. God, we thank you for the relationships, the people around us that we love, and we pray a blessing upon them. We pray for a blessing upon every family that is represented here or, or those that are watching online. God, we pray a blessing upon them, and we thank you for them. And God, as we look forward to a new year in 2023, we ask now that this would be a, a year that your will is done in our lives and in our church. God, we just lay this entire year, the next 365 days, before your feet, and we ask that you would be sovereign Lord over it. And God, we just pray that you would bless us, that you would help us to walk closely with you. God, help us not to stray to the left or to the right, but help us to stay in line with your spirit. As you lead us, help us to not to fall behind or run ahead, but to stay in step with your spirit. And God, I pray that as we do, that we would fit, be filled with more and more of your presence every day. God, that it would just flow out of us, that we would have love flow out of us to those around us. And God, within us, I pray that you would fill us with peace and joy and, and confidence in you, that we would trust in you. 
And God, we recognize that with every new year, we have all kinds of anticipation, but surely this year will have its own struggles as well. God, give us strength. Help us to rely on you uh, even during the hardest of days. And God, we thank you for those as well because we uh, consider it, as your word tells us, we consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds for we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that we may be mature and complete. And so we thank you even for the difficult times because you're working in us our sanctification. And so, God, we thank you for all of these things and pray now that you would bless us as we open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, on this first day of the new year, I am going to tell you an old story. It's a story about a a man by the name of Sam Gordon who lived a hundred years ago. He was a pastor in the Boston area. And one day, Sam was walking down the streets of Boston, and uh, this was before Boston was a huge city like it is today, and he saw a little boy just walking by himself. It was safe during that time, and, but he was a dirty little boy, and he was carrying around a birdcage. Now, I recognize this is a bird feeder, but it's the best I could do for today, all right? Hang with me. Uh, He's carrying around uh, in his hands a birdcage, and and the bottom of this birdcage are several little poor little birds. And so Sam Gardner, uh, uh, Sam Gordon comes up to the little boy and says, hey, uh, young lad, what do you got in that birdcage? And he says, well, I got some, uh, just, just a handful of Uh, little birds in this bird cage. He said, where'd you get those birds? He said, I I set a trap for them. I trapped these birds. Well, what are you planning on doing with those birds? Oh, I'm going to have fun with these birds. I'm going to poke them and tease them. I'm going to throw them around and and just swing them here in my cage. I'll have a lot of fun with these birds. Well, uh, Pastor Gordon was was beginning to get a little bit concerned. And so he said, well, after you get done teasing them and playing with them, what are you going to do with them then? I've got some cats at home. They like birds. I'll feed them to my cats. And then moved with compassion, he said, how much do you want for those birds? He said, mister, you don't want these birds. These are worthless, good-for-nothing birds. I just trapped these birds out in the park. They can't sing. They can't do nothing. You don't want these birds. He said, how much do you want for the birds? Thinking about it, the opportunity he had, he rubbed his chin and he said, I'll take $2. $2 back then was a good amount of money for a half a dozen worthless birds. And so the boy said, deal, I'll take it. To his surprise, uh, 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 Sam pulled out $2 out of his wallet and he grabbed it as soon as he could and took off running the other way. Well, Pastor Gordon, with these birds in, his, in the cage, went between two buildings and opened the door tapped on it until each one found their way out and flew away and they were set free. Well, that Sunday, uh, Pastor Gordon stood up behind the pulpit and he began to tell the story of the birds. And he uh, shared how he had set these half dozen birds free. And then he began another story, which seemed at first like an altogether story, but they quickly recognized that there was a lot of parallels with the first story. In this second story, Satan and Jesus were in a negotiation. And the devil was bragging about how he had set a trap and he had caught a whole world full of people. And Jesus said, well, Satan, what are you planning on doing with those people? He said, 
I'm going to poke them and tease them. I'm going to have some fun with them. I'm going to make them uh, get married and then get divorced. And I'm going to cause them to say all kinds of hurtful things until they hate each other. I'm going to have some fun with them. Well, eventually you're going to get tired of teasing them. What are you going to do then? Oh, I'll damn them. I'll kill them and throw them in hell forever. And Jesus says to the devil, how much do you want for those, those people in that cage? And he says, come on, you got to be kidding me. Those worthless, no good people, you, you don't want those people. They'll, they'll hurt you, they'll beat you, they'll say all kinds of mean things against you, they'll spit on you, and then they'll nail nails into you. Like I said, they're worthless, no good people. You don't want them. But Jesus insisted, how much? And Satan thought about it for a moment, and then he said, all your blood and all your tears, that's the price. And to his surprise, Jesus paid the price, and he died on the cross for us, and he set us free. This morning, I want to start a new sermon series with you. It's called Set Free in 2023. It's got a good ring to it, right? Set Free in 2023. And uh, in this sermon series, it's just a one-month series, but we're going to talk about how God has set us free. And I want to uh, really paint a picture this morning that there are two camps. One is the camp of the devil. And in the camp of the devil, it's, it's really a camp of slavery. We're bound to sin and death. But then there is a, a second camp, and that is God's camp. And God has set us free from slavery. And the opposite of slavery is what? It's, it's a family. God has set us free to be in his family. We're no longer slaves is the worst kind of existence. In fact, it means that uh, slavery tries to rob a person of their personhood. So they're a possession, they're, they're property. And the best type of existence in this world is to be in a family where you're loved and you're cared for and there's those that are watching over you and and uh, supporting you. So these two opposite camps uh, are set before us, and, and they are contrasted. And really what I want to do in this series, it's a, it's a vision casting series for one month, for the month of January, because I believe that this is the year God wants us to emphasize that we are a family church. That's the vision for the whole year. That 2023 West Covina Christian Church is going to flourish as a family church. I believe that this is what is needed in this world today. People are craving, longing, hungering for relationship. And really what they're longing for more than anything is they're longing to be in family. Every time I talk to people and they're like, what, what, uh, what do you want in a church? What do, you, what do you need? What do you and your family need? And every time the answer is, we want relationship. We want connection. And so this morning, starting this morning in this Set Free in 2023 sermon series, we're talking about being the family of God. Now this contrast between, say, uh, between slavery and the family of God is brought, brought out in Romans chapter 8. So uh, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and, uh, and I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to look at Romans 1, 8, 1, and 2, and then also we'll jump over and look at verses 
14 through 16. Those are the five verses for today. Rome, and we start in, uh, in Romans 8. The, the words will be on the screen as well. Uh, Romans 8, 1, it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation. Nothing stands between you and God for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Because through Christ Jesus... The law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life represents this camp, the camp of God, has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's the other camp. So these are the two contrasting ideas. Let me just pause there real quick because we want to we understand that these two contrasting ideas, those that are... Uh, that are under the law of the Spirit who gives life is contrasted to those that are under the law of sin and death. Now, those that are under the law of sin and death are, as I said, slaves, slaves to Satan. In fact, that's brought out in the verse just before the one we read, which I maybe should have started there because it, the first word in verse 1 is therefore, right? Whenever you see a therefore, what do you ask? What's the therefore, therefore? You got to look back. What's the therefore? Therefore, we go back to verse 25 of Romans 7, which is the verse just preceding. Thanks be to God who delivers me. In other words, sets me free again. Who sets me free through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, I am a slave to the law of sin. There, there's the law of sin and death again. Those that are in the, under slavery under the law of sin and death, who's the slave master? Well, it's Satan, but the one that is described here that is the controlling influence is our sinful nature. The sin nature is what compels us to do what we have said we would not do again. It compels us to disobey the Lord. Today is New Year's resolution day, right? Today is New You're going to make all kinds of resolutions. The one thing that's going to keep you from keeping your resolution is the sin nature. It's always pulling us in directions that we don't want to go. Those that are under the law of sin and death are pulled by, by temptation to sin, and the, and, the, uh, and the result of that is death. Now, spiritual death means separation from God. But, uh, and the ultimate, the ultimate uh, fulfillment of that is hell, where we are separated from God for all eternity. But even now, those that have not been set free, those that still have their condemnation set against them, there's a, there's a spiritual death that resides in their heart, at least in seed form. Deep down inside, they have not been made alive. They're like spiritual zombies. They're dead, but they're walking around. They're, they're, they're dead on the inside. They're slaves to sin. My Bible dictionary at home defines spiritual slavery as a controlling influence. We know what earthly slavery is, right? It's, it's, it's a, like I said, it's a terrible thing. In fact, it's the blackest of black eyes on this country's history. There's still places around the world today that have slavery. But what we're talking about is spiritual slavery, which is a controlling influence. And this is what causes people to do what they don't want to do. How many times have you sabotaged a relationship that was really meaningful to you? 
said something that was hurtful. You love that person, and yet you've said something or, or done something. Uh, it, is, it is that sin nature in us, that, that controlling influence that causes us to do things that we don't want to do. And that leads to death. And the more we follow that sin nature, the more we die on the inside. And so because there are spiritual zombies, there's a lot of people walking around that have a lot of hurt and darkness and anger on the inside. And so why do we see so many people trying to drown out the emptiness with alcohol? Because it hurts on the inside. And why do we see so many people trying to escape the pain that they feel with pornography? Because it hurts on the inside. And why do we see so many people trying to blame others for how they feel? Because they want to escape the feeling. And so they'll blame their wife, they'll blame their kids, they'll blame the boss, they'll blame their politician, they'll blame whoever. But really the, 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 the reality is the blame resides in our own sinful nature and in Satan. We, we want to we, if anything, we want to escape is we want to escape his camp, but we can't do that on our own. We only do that through the Holy Spirit who is able to set us free. So here's the thing. Let me emphasize this once more. To be a slave to sin and death is the opposite of being in the family of God. To be, in, uh, to, to be in the family of God means that we've entered into the most important of relationships. In the family of God, you have two primary kinds of relationships. One is with your heavenly Father, right? And the second is with each other. That's why when we come to church, I call you brother or sister. And we call each other brothers and sisters because we're, we're in a family, and this is what is described here in verses 14 through 16, the family of God. Verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit, they're in the camp, in, in God's camp, those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you have received does not make you slaves. That's this uh, side. It does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That's that deadness, that emptiness that we're talking about inside. So that you do not live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit, has, the Spirit you have received brought about your adoption to sonship. You're brought into God's family. You're His son. You're His daughter. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So my first point this morning was that Satan's camp is under the law of sin and death. The second point is that God's camp is a spiritual family. It talks about here in these verses how we are his children. And so as his children, we've been set free from slavery and brought into the family of God so that God is our father. God, your father, is a tender, loving dad. God, your father, is a tender, loving dad. That's what's communicated when it says that we are to cry out to him, Abba, Father. You know what the word Abba means? It means daddy. 
In fact, if you were to go to the Middle East today or anywhere where they uh, speak Aramaic, they, you would hear little kids running around saying, Abba, to their dads. In fact, it almost sounds like the words that kids use today. You've heard kids call their dads Dada or Papa, Abba, Dada, Papa, Abba. It's this tender, loving relationship that, it, that it is communicated in this special word that a child might say to his, uh, to his or her dad. And so we are told to pray to God, Father, Abba, Abba, Father. In other words, we are call, uh, encouraged to cultivate that close relationship that we have with God. If you're looking for a New Year's resolution this year, the best uh, New Year's resolution that you could set is to grow in your in your prayer and in your prayer life with the Lord. It's like the heartbeat of our relationship with God. Sometimes I'm amazed at how uh, people who are followers of God, how they neglect prayer. It is such a privilege. You write a letter to the White House, it'll, it'll, chances are it'll never reach the president's desk. In fact, you even try to reach the mayor of your town, it's going to be a challenge. You have the opportunity to go to the almighty creator of the universe, and it's a guarantee that the letter gets through. And it's a guarantee not only for the big things, but for the little things. A little kid that loves his Abba crawls up into his daddy's lap and can talk to him about anything. God always wants us to hear our, uh, our prayers. And so I encourage us to cultivate that closeness with God. When you're a kid and you skin your knees, what do you do? You run to your mom or your dad, right? When you're a kid and you can't figure out how to put together your new Christmas present, story of my life this past week, you, you either turn to the instructions, but chances are if you're too little, you turn to your mom or your dad who says, where are the instructions? And God is a parent like this. We need to learn to rely on him as our Abba Father. As Abba Father, you can always approach God with confidence. He's that tender, loving daddy that you can always come to him because you have a close relationship with him. Now, if my kids felt like there was some sort of distance or formality between me and them, I would, I would take offense to that. If my kids came up to me and said, Oh, thou most holy procreator of the Winnell family, thou who so sovereignly bestows our allowance upon us, we beseech thee for a bountiful harvest of cash that we may spend it as we please, I'd say to Chelsea, What's going on? Get the thermometer. We got problems with our kids. No, I don't want my kids approaching me like that. I want them to say, Hey, Daddy. Come and be with me. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. We ought to have confidence to talk to him as he's our Abba, our Father. And then you need to know that God is always there for you. Sometimes we grew up in families where our dad was not always there for us. Even if he was there physically, he might not have been there emotionally always saying, hey, no, not right now, I'll get to you later, hang on, wait a minute. And he's reading the newspaper or watching the ball game or, or, or maybe looking at his phone or, or too busy with work or whatever. God is never too busy for us. 
He's always there for us. And then also I just want to emphasize that God loves to meet your needs because he is a good father. God loves to meet your needs. Like that's his enjoyment. Don't think you're burdening him by talking to what's going on in your life. He loves to meet your needs. Talk to him about your marriage. Talk to him about your kids. Talk to him about what's going on in work. Talk to him about the little stuff. I can't keep this tire blown up in my car. It's always going flat. Whatever it is, little stuff. He loves to hear from you. Jesus is the one that said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your Father, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, God gives us good gifts. He might not always give us what we want, but he always gives us what is best for us because he is a good Abba Father. Now, a father sets the tone for the whole family, right? Usually a father, a father and a mother, but I'm just talking about fathers right now. A father sets the tone for the whole family. If the father is loving and caring, the kids uh, feel secure, the wife is happy, uh, they, they learn to love and care for others. If the dad is mean and distant, the, the kid feels insecure, and the wife is always on edge, and they, and they treat each other with meanness, and they treat others with meanness and, and, and harshness. In the same way, if we are the family of God, God sets the tone for our family. And what kind of heavenly father is he to us? Full of love, right? full of compassion and kindness. And so we are now called to treat each other uh, that way. That brings us into the second kind of relationship, and that is that you and I are brothers and sisters together. We are the family of God. Verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So because the Spirit lives in us, the Spirit brings the fruit of the Spirit in us and through us and out of us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and uh, uh, self-control. And uh, so those are the things that are going to be, come out of us. It, it says that this is our testimony, that we testify that we are God's children and how we treat one another. When I was growing up, I admit, I had, I had, I will say that this idea of closeness was kind of a, a foreign concept to me. Not that I didn't have a good relationship with my parents, but 90% of the time, I felt like I was completely on my own. And uh, I grew up in a very small town. I think my town has less than 500 people in it. Uh, my graduating class was 28 kids. And I started preschool with 26 of them. Uh, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, no one ever moved out. Nobody ever moved in. Now, I went to school for 14 years with 26 kids, and I never felt like I was a friend with any of them. I felt like I was completely on my own. I never felt like I really belonged or like I, I, I fit in. It was, uh, and, and then I'd go to church, and it was a wonderful church, Bible-believing church and, and taught the scriptures and loved the Lord, but I never felt like I fit in at church. In the youth group, the biggest bully to me at school was in my youth group, and we only had a youth group of like five kids. 
so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a safe place there either. And I lived on a farm in which my closest neighbor was a mile away, and he was like 60 years old. And, uh, and I oftentimes felt like I, I just didn't fit in. The first time I ever felt like I was able to have a friend or to connect with someone was when I, worked, when I went to work at a Bible camp named, the, the name of the camp was Hidden Acres Christian Center, and I was there for 10 weeks after my junior year of high school. And all of a sudden, I felt like I belonged. The, uh, the, the, I was with the same counselors all summer. I was a counselor, and I was with them, and, and we'd work together. We'd take care of the kids, and every day we'd worship together in chapel, and we were encouraged to support one another, and we and we ate together, and we slept together. Not in the same beds, obviously, but you get what I mean. We lived together for the summer. And, uh, and, and I felt I was alive. Because for the first time, I felt like I was a part of the family of God. And I loved it. In fact, it was at that camp uh, that summer that I felt like I was called into ministry. And as I reflect back upon it uh, now, I think the reason I felt like I was called into ministry was, I, I truly believe I was, but I think the catalyst behind it was that I felt like this is where the Lord wanted me. I was called not only to ministry, but to be in the family of God, to feel like I was connected and I belonged to others. In fact, that, that, what I had, that feeling I had that summer is what I've been chasing for the last 30 years to feel like, we're, like I'm in the family of God. And I think that that's a good thing. We as a church want to pursue that. And it does take effort. It's work to be in a family, right? It, uh, uh, it comes easier to be mean to one another. It's, it takes work to, be, to spend time together and to love one another. And that's what God is calling us to be as well. A church, West Covina Christian Church, in this upcoming year, is going to flourish as a family church. Now, as I say that, we're not introducing any new programs or anything new. In fact, all we're doing is doubling down on the things that I think we do the best. The first thing, I'm going to give us three things that we're going to emphasize this upcoming year. The first thing is life groups. Because life groups are where we're able to go deep in our relationship with one another. Uh, we're going to talk about this over the course of the next month. My hope is that everyone here and everyone online is going to get plugged into a life group in the next few weeks. We really want to be in a life group because we can support one another. That's where we share our prayer requests and our hearts and our joys. And we, and we care for one another and we challenge each other spiritually. The second thing is children and family ministry. Because every, fam every ch uh, family emphasizes kids, right? Even if you're not a mom or a dad or a kid, you're an aunt or you're an uncle or your grandparent or you got cousins or whatever, kids are important. And if we are to really be a family church, I'd love to see everyone in one way or another get involved in our children's ministry and in our young family's ministry. And the third thing, and this is a good one, is after church fellowship. Right? After church fellowship, this, this, this is like central to us as a church. And it really was before the pandemic. And we've kind of let it slide, but it's, it's time to get after church fellowship going 100%. We're going to have a meal together after church every, every week. In fact, uh, I want you to consider the after church fellowship 
the most important hour of the church every week. When we gather for worship, like that's 1A, and then what takes place right after church is 1B. It's just as important because what we hear about in here and what we do with the Lord in worship is then put into practice immediately what we do just right there over that wall. And after church fellowship, it has three big F's. It has food because any family eats together, right? And it has a fellowship because we sit down with one another and we share about what's going on. And, and on that point, let me just say that uh, if you ever see someone sitting by themselves, please don't let them sit by themselves for very long. Get a plate of food and sit down with them. A click church is not a family church. A family church is a church that welcomes everyone in and, uh, and, and brings them in. And then the third F, we got food, we got fellowship. The third F is fun. And uh, so we're going to set up the yard games out here on the patio every week, and you can play me in cornhole or play somebody, and we'll have some, some fun together. But that's after church fellowship. That's going to be a big part of our upcoming year. In fact, to do that, we've got to all get on the same page again. And uh, so I'm going to invite Marissa to come forward. She's our uh, food and fellowship de uh, deacon. And uh, Marissa's going to kind of share the game plan. Are you able to come forward, Marissa? Okay. Uh, Marissa is getting us organized. We've got to have a lot of volunteers to do this. And uh, so she's going to share what the, uh, how we're going to get all on the same page along these lines. What's the plan, Marissa? Marissa looks like she's ready for the snow. <laughs> After this, I'm going to the snow. I'm not just kidding. Anyways, good morning. Uh, actually, I'm very uh, excited to get started with what Pastor Corey mentioned. Uh, we are very excited to go back to what we used to have for a long time. We came to service, and then we had a nice lunch together. So, but in order to do that, we need to get more people signed up to help us do that again so we can get it going again. So we are adding, um, like Pastor Gore says, some um, games in the back. After service, we'll have some games for the kids where the family can sit together uh, while they're having coffee with everybody else. <clears throat> and your kids can sit around and play. <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> I wasn't prepared for this, but. Anyway, so uh, I would like to, uh, we have a little sign-up in the back. If you guys want to sign up and uh, maybe be a part, it's something that you can do once every other month. You don't have to do it all the time. And then that would get us all going again because we would really love to get us all back together with our friends and family and just enjoying a nice meal together. So please sign up in the back. I have a list. You can just grab me in the outside and ask me any questions. And then I can give you more information if you like. Thank okay, you. Okay, thank you, Marissa. So as Marissa said, the goal is to have a rotation of every two months. And so we figured we need at least four people every week. And uh, if a month has either four or five Sundays, that means we need 36 people. We can get 36 people. It's only, once a, it's only once every couple months, right? Half a dozen times a year. And so we need four sign-ups, uh, four people every week. And uh, you can sign up. There's a sign-up sheet on the table in the entryway over here. There's a sign-up sheet at the Connection Central booth. We have a QR code here that you can 
scan right now and, and sign up so you don't forget. Or if you're at home, you can, uh, you can scan that and, and put your name on the list. And uh, when, when we get 36, then we are going to have a little training meeting and, uh, and show you the ropes. So if you don't know what you're signing up for right now, that's okay. I don't know what I'm signing up for either. We'll all get on the same page and, uh, and, uh, and we'll get this figured out. And you'll sign up for the week that works best for you, first Sunday of second month or whatever. And, um, and, uh, and then we will uh, begin to have lunch every week. We're going to start next week. Uh, and uh, so uh, we'll, we'll keep advertising until we have enough volunteers. But I'm confident in our, in our church that we are a family church. And so uh, I'm confident that we'll be able to have people that are willing to bring food and, uh, and help serve in the kitchen. And it's going to be a, a wonderful thing. Someone asked me a couple weeks ago, what makes West Covina Christian Church, what, what makes our church unique? What makes it special? What makes it different than the church down the street? Two things came to mind. One is, uh, I said, our church is very diverse. You have people of every age, every ethnicity, every background. I said, that's a blessing. I love it. And then the second thing I said and uh, was that we eat together after every Sunday. And I was kind of really thinking of, of when we were doing that full-blown bl- uh, before the pandemic, but we're going to bring that back. Both, when I began to think about that, those two things, are those two, not two things that are just really characteristic of being a family church? We've got people of every age. We eat together. This is who we are. We are a family church. So in summary... God has set us free from the camp of Satan in which we are under the law of sin and death, and we don't want to be in that camp. And God has uh, set us free so that we are in God's camp, which is a family. And so what are we going to do in the family? Well, we're going to pray to our Abba Father because God loves us so much. Every day, throughout the day, we're going to just pour out our prayer requests to him. We're going to talk to him, not even request, just be in communion with him. And then secondly, as a family, we're going to invest in our, in our relationship with our brothers and sisters right here. And so this is who we are in 2023. We're going to flourish as a family church. Let's prepare to take communion now and... Uh, You know, when we look at the example of the early church, basically what we're talking about here this morning is is what we see in the early church. The early church gathered together for the apostles' teaching and for worship and for fellowship. And that's what they did. And one of the things that Jesus told us to do, and the early church began to practice that, was to remember the Lord's table. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his d- disciples. And, uh, and, and as I say this, the ushers are coming around. If you need your elements, r- raise your hand and keep it up. But the, uh, Jesus gathered with his d- disciples, and he began to explain to them that, uh, what was ab- about to happen. And I, I really don't know if the disciples, even though Jesus had told them about it multiple times, I don't think they really comprehended until it was all said and done. 
But Jesus was beginning to teach them by giving them bread and having them drink. And he was saying things like, these things represent what I'm about to do for you. My body will be broken and my blood will be shed. And he did this so that we could have new life in him, so that we could be in his family. And so as we gather again today and we partake of communion again, this little wafer represents his body. He died so that because he loves you. And this juice represents his blood. His blood was shed so that you can be in his family. And so as we have a few minutes with just the elements in our hands, and I invite you to hold on to them. We'll all take them together. But before we do that, I want to give us just a moment to pause and to pray. And as you pray, just crawl up into God's lap. Call him your daddy, your Abba. And just be able to, before we take formal communion together, to commune with him in his presence. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. I invite you to take out the wafer. God's word says, For I I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. The passage closes by saying, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, I thank you that we are your children. God, I thank you that you paid the price. The price was all your blood and all your tears. And I thank you that you paid the price. Maybe we didn't, maybe we aren't worth it. Maybe because of our own sin, and I I know that's the truth. We don't deserve it. 
But God, I know that in your eyes, we are worth it. You love us so much. God, I thank you that we are your children. And I pray that you would help us, strengthen us by the Holy Spirit in us to live lives that are worthy of the calling that we have received. God, help us to truly love one another well. Help us to treat our brothers and our sisters with kindness and dignity and and love and generosity and forgiveness. And God, we thank you that you have called us into your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to sing this last song, I want to invite the prayer counselors to come forward. And if you are uh, here and you'd like to receive prayer, these, uh, these prayer counselors would love to pray with you. So let's stand as we sing this final song.